So it is our prayer that God will move. So would you pray with me? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we want to pray today that we don't come by might and we don't come by power, but we, become by your, we come by your spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we take this time, you know, we're two weeks away, Lord, from celebrating the birth of Jesus. And it's such a great time, Lord, because of the presents that are given and all the uh, time that we get to see loved ones and people that we haven't seen in a while. But in the end, Lord, without your presence, we're left empty. So I just pray today, Lord, that whatever said, that you would be glorified, that we would be encouraged, and that we would have a new light and a new lease. So I'm praying for the saints in this room, Lord, to really be strengthened. I'm praying for people that are checking out Jesus, that don't know him as Lord and Savior. I pray today that they would see him as the champion and the only one who can eradicate sin and give us righteousness. And I pray that you would be glorified. It is our prayer, and so we love you and we praise you. And all the saints said what? Amen. So I'm making a vow to myself this Christmas that in Acts, I'm enamored with Stephen. Stephen was one of the deacons. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But what's great about him is that because he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he got him killed. I mean, they, they could not deny his wisdom. They couldn't stop him. But what they could not stop was the presence of God within him. And that's my prayer that today that the presence of God is so strong in you and so strong in us that people will see something different in us. I pray that, that we will not be impressed anymore, as John Piper would say, by wealth. We wouldn't, we wouldn't stay safe, that this Christmas would not be about what all the things we could get, but that there'd be a flavor to our lives, there'd be a saltiness, a light to our life, that we live so risky that we count our lives of very little value, but Christ so big and so great that something this Christmas just is different. You know, I, I really am enamored with this, that if I can love Jesus so much, then I won't depend on the presence or friends so much. And so for me, Christmas is a really spending time with the Lord. Moses spent time face to face. Now I'm not saying we can spend time face to face with the Lord, but what we can do is we can in our time, our quiet time with God, is we can spend time with him. Like, I want to be that guy that spends time with the Lord that when I walk out, I know that whatever comes, I got Jesus with me. That's a great feeling, isn't it? And so when I wake up Christmas morning, it doesn't have to go right, that people get excited that I gave them the gift that they want. They go, oh, that just means the world to me. Or the food was great, but you know I'm going to kill it. <laughs> I believe gluttony is not, you know, that's not a sin on Christmas. I'm not saying that's in scripture. That's just John's version. But I am saying that whatever happens, if the food's terrible, it's like a Christmas vacation movie and the turkey opens up, there's nothing in it. The cat dies. The tree gets burned up. Some uncle catches on fire, which we're okay with some people in our families catching on fire. We just, you know, we just repent. But the point is that all that is, if everything went wrong, but the presence of God was there, then everything is right. So I have it online for you at uh, Summit uh, Church on Facebook. But here's the main idea. The main idea for me is this, that the gospel gives us courage to trust and obey God, even when there are no options left. Luke chapter 2. Let's turn there to the, the Christmas narrative that we've been in. We were there last week, Luke chapter 2. 
You'll remember in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 and following. This Christmas narrative, the Lord's really just pressing my heart. Even when there's no options left, there's still an option with Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, what's interesting, I don't know if y'all follow Twitter or anything else like that, but if you've seen now, there's all these different theories. So now the new theory is that Rome was taken down by a virus. Have y'all have y'all read that? No, it looks like I'm strange. Um, so you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in those type of things, and so it's an actual virus, which is interesting to me. That if that's the case, that it just shows how big God is. What man can try to prevent, man cannot stop God. And so it's interesting that people with such great power can never stop what God has already put in motion. So here was all the fulfillment of God's plan, verse 2. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria. Everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth. I love that imagery, went up. Nazareth is way above Jerusalem. Nazareth is at the top, Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem is down here. But he went, he went up because to get to Bethlehem, he had to go up. To towards Jerusalem. It's the idea of that holy hill, the idea of the temple, the idea of the presence of God. He had to go up to, uh, uh, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged, I love this, to the house and line of David. So Bethlehem's eight miles south of Jerusalem. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, but was expecting a child. And you know the story, of course. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And then here's the passage I just want to sit in for a little bit. Because there was no guest room available for them. You've seen videos. Maybe you were a kid. You grew up in church. You saw a play. And you saw where there was this innkeeper, you see Joseph knocking on the door, it's super packed, super slammed with people, nobody can get in, there's no room, there's no room, and you see it and we all laugh and we get to that point, but I was thinking, really, what would it be like to go to Bethlehem and it's bustling now, it's, it's booming because everybody goes back, it's a sleepy little town that nobody really cares about, but everybody goes back to register, and now, obviously there's no hotels, obviously there's no places, there's no places for them to go, there's nowhere to go, you go and you beg, there's nothing left, but yet there is a state, cave, and that's where Jesus would be born. What's interesting to me in that place, even though there was no room left, Jesus still came. Now let's think about that for a moment. When there's no options left, Jesus <coughs> still came. When we're in a place and you're ministering to people and you know you're, they're hurting and there's like, there's just nothing left. There's no room left. There's nothing left. Listen, when, there's, when Jesus is born, if he can be born when there's no options left, he can still do something we can't see. 
So I looked up and spent some time with that word room. I want you to see that with me in verse 7. There was no guest room available for them. That word room or place would be in the Greek. Literally means this. It means a region, it seats, an or an opportunity. And so I thought about that. Even when there was no opportunity for Mary to have a place to give birth, Jesus still came. Where there is no room, God still can do something. When there's no opportunity left, God can still do something. And that has given me great hope in my life. When you think sometimes, you know how some people are, you're like, man, they're just too far gone. They're just, there's no, God, there's no way. Listen, I looked at my class, my survey of New Testament class. I just got done giving an exam. I just want to tell you how much God has a sense of humor. Now, before you judge me, okay, and you already know that I'm, the elevator doesn't make it, so you go ahead and judge what you want. So I'm, I'm giving this, I'm literally giving, giving them an exam, and in my heart I'm laughing. And I know they're thinking that I'm laughing at them. I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing. You want to know what's so funny about me giving a survey of New Testament exam? It's my freshman year in college. I was taking survey of New Testament. And I was taking the exam. And when it came to the list, the books of the New Testament, because I studied like this. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> I placed, I placed my Bible on the floor that I had written out the books and I practiced my motto. When in doubt, look about. God gave the eyes, plagiarize. It's better to cheat than repeat. I sat there. It's a true story, people. I'm not making this up. I sat there in class, and I had this little, short, nerdy, I mean, I, he was the epitome of what Jesus was to me. I, just weird. <laughs> just, if, if odd for God. Like, I just didn't want to be that Christian person. So I sat there, and I cheated my way through class. I made a good grade in that class, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but I did. <laughs> the Bible don't lie. Anyway. And so I sat there and cheat, and I'm sitting there thinking, God has a sense of humor. The same guy who's a loser, who cheats his way through Bible class. Let's just picture that. Hi, God. I'm in sin. Not just any type of sin, but I'm going to cheat my way through your Bible class. I don't care. And so what's amazing is that I cheat my way through the class, and isn't it interesting that years later, I'm giving a test to the, to the same class that I cheated my way through. Because one way or another, God's plan can't be thwarted. God had a plan for me to be a shepherd. God had a plan for me to be a pastor. Oh, I didn't want to be because I wasn't going to be like those people. But see, what Jesus was trying to tell me is, you're not going to be like that professor. You're going to be like me. And so when there was no options left, there's still an option with God. When there's no room left, there's still room with God. When there's no opportunities left. And so I, I want to just encourage you today that when you're ministering to people, when they say there's no option, there is with Jesus Christ. I told you this before, but it reminds me of that painting. I love that Russian painting 
where this man is battling his soul against Satan for his soul. And Satan said, I'll play you in a chess game for your soul. And this renown in the painting, and this renowned uh, picture is this chess player playing against Satan for his soul. And, and, and it gets to the point where Satan in chess has put checkmate. And then this wonderful Russian uh, uh, chess player, world-renowned, goes up and studies and sits there and studies and studies, and he's looking, and he says, the painting's wrong. The painting's wrong. And everybody was around like, what do you mean the painting's wrong? And the painting is, there it is, there's the pieces, there it is, Satan putting checkmate on the guy to win his soul. And he goes, no, the painting's wrong. That, that There's still one more move for the guy. That's what it is in Jesus. There's still one more move. There's still one more opportunity. If God can take an idiot like me, and he can, listen, I cheat. I cheated my, is this not like a lowest point of your life that you cheated in surveying your testament? Like, I cheated. Like, I cheated you, Lord. And God's like, I don't care. I'm still going to use you. And so that's why, I'm, I, I, that's why I love y'all so much. That's why you're the wildest people I've ever met. That's why I love this church. I love this church. I love this church because I love you because you're the ones that, listen, let's be honest. We were wild for Satan. But I don't want you to tone it down. I just want you to keep it turned up for Jesus. I think what, what God does, yeah, what God does is he says, hey, listen, John, I'm not trying to tone you down this way. I'm just redirecting you. I'm just, your life is now a life of repentance, which is a good thing living for me. Because I got a plan. And so here where there's no option, I want you to see, it wasn't the place where Jesus was born that's the point. It's the person of Jesus who was born that's the point. Matthew chapter one. So let's, Turn over, if you will, on your phones or whatever you got. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. We just want you to see something interesting here. That even, listen, because of the gospel, we got courage. That we can trust and obey, even when there's no option left. Even when there's no option left. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is what blows me away. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. Verse 18. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or, or just, or righteous, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And this is powerful to me. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Now notice that. All this took place. Joseph's struggle had taken place to fulfill what is said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Listen, the gospel gives us courage to obey God even when there are no options because God is with us. 
Because God is with us. Listen, I, 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 again, this guy wrote this, John Bloom. Listen to this. I'm gonna, I just want to read this to you. Have you ever wondered why? This is what he wrote, and, I, and I, it just it caught me off guard. Have you ever wondered why God sent an angel to inform Mary that she would conceive the Messiah by the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, yet forced Joseph, don't miss this, to agonize over what to do about Mary's pregnancy before sending the angel. Just think about it. Luke 1, angel shows up, you're going to be pregnant. Who am I, Mary says? Oh, no, it don't matter. You're highly favored. You're highly favored. God's got a plan. When there's no option, God still has a way. And so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he informs Mary, you're going to get pregnant, and it's going to be Jesus. You're going to fulfill the prophets, the whole Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 1, we see this guy, Joseph, and he has to struggle to the point of ready to divorce his wife. And when he's at the point of the end, I'll go over here. At the point of the end of the struggle, the angel shows up and says, no, you're fulfilling God's word. I just want to tell you that sometimes your struggle is just to fulfill God's plan. I'm over here talking to myself. Listen, sometimes God allows agony to fulfill the word of God because agony doesn't mean that his plan is thwarted. Agony, agony means that Jesus is shown as good. When we count our lives as nothing, when we say, I'm sick and tired of the American dream, I'm sick and tired that carpet in people's homes become the value of life more than the value of Jesus Christ. That just tears me up. That I want my life to count of less value and Jesus count so much that when suffering comes, I can still say Jesus is good. Thanksgiving, I went home, my mom looked at me and she was talking to me and she brought up my father. You know, years in 2005, he died. Cancer, I don't know that for years. She looked at me and she said, you told me your dad was going to get sick. I said, yeah, mom, God showed me. Agony does not mean that God is Joseph was to the point of like, I don't know what else to do. I'm trying to live right by the law. I don't understand this. You see, this is where the world is. This is what the world is. Either they see Jesus being born a man, or they see Jesus as God before he became a man. See, this is where Islam breaks off. If you have, if you, the virgin birth makes no sense in Islam because to them it was as if God became born. But we know the word of God that he was the word before he was Jesus. know that Jesus can still work in a painful decision. Some of you have had to make very painful decisions in your life. Let's be straight up. You've had to either say, we, should we pull the plug or not? Should I walk away from this relationship or not? Should I break fellowship with this or not? Even in painful decisions, Jesus is still working his plan. Some people have had to agonize over decisions, but God still has a plan. 
Luke 1, he, the angel shows up to Mary. Matthew 1, the angel shows up to Joseph. But in totally different situations, but both doing the will of God. The very last person, John Bloom says that he would suspect, Joseph would suspect to be unfaithful would be Mary. The very last person. Think about the brokenness there. The very last person. Only divorce, he said, could be the option if adultery had taken place. In other words, people divorce for God if Jesus is just a man and not God. Either Jesus is a man or he's a word or the word of God. Can you imagine if he fell asleep that night exhausted from grief and the angel speaks to him in a dream? Let's go back and look at it. Matthew chapter 1. Look what he says there in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her publicly to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Can you imagine being so exhausted over a decision? So broken over a decision, but yet God still has a plan. Listen, don't give up on God when there are no options. Though there seems like there is no room, God will make a room. It might not look like what we want, but it will fulfill his plan. God did not need a room for Jesus to be born. He can be born any place, anywhere, anytime, but he would declare it by the heavens that he is real. God chose Joseph for his role, this writer said, just as he chose Mary for her role. But he dealt with them differently. God will not spare us from all awkward and painful decisions. James chapter 5, let me read it to you. Brothers and sisters, as an, uh, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The Lord was speaking to me about this this week. He says, as you know, listen to this, verse 11, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance. Remember Job? Lost everything, lost his family, lost his kids, lost all his money, lost everything. It says, you have heard, James chapter 5, verse 11, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, and I want you to know today that even though some people have it easy and some people have to struggle, God still has a plan. He is full of compassion and mercy. So when my mother looked at me, she said, what have we, what have we done wrong to, to get with that plan? How many we have been wrong? This is God's plan to fulfill his glory. Well, why? But, but, but people have to suffer. I said, oh, 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 wait a minute. God said we're a mist of vapor. That we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. But yet, people hold God accountable for tomorrow. And God never promised it. But what he did promise us is eternal life with him presence with him. So guess what? The more I suffer, the more I give God glory, the more his presence is strong with me. Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. And I remember my father dying. I looked at them all and I said, wait a minute, this is a holy moment. We're standing around praying over his body. I said, this is a holy moment. They look at me like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, you're crazy. And the reason why is because the Bible says that God's eyes are watching the death of his people. He is so close to us right now. I don't know how close dimensionally he is, but he is so close right now. It's almost like if he stopped, I would bump into him. 
God has a plan when there's no options left. And death, and death of relationship, death of a job, death of friendship, crazy family members, you name it, whatever, God still has an option. And I want you to walk in that this Christmas. And whatever happens this way, whatever happens that way, man, I'm going with Jesus because there's always an option. There's always an option, regardless of how my life pans out. It might be Mary in this way, it might be Joseph in this way, but together they both led to Jesus. So what did Job do? That brought about compassion and mercy. Job 1 verse 20 says, when Job found out all the bad news, at this Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. So there was external confirmation. He's hurt it. There's nothing wrong with letting people know that people are hurt. But he didn't stop with just letting people know he was hurting. It says he tore his robe, shaved his head. Then the word of God says, then he fell to the ground and worshiped. I want you to know that if we worship God in the midst of whatever seems no option, the Lord is good and full of compassion and mercy. Oh, I said, I was going to tell myself last night that we're going to cry. I'm trying not to cry. I'm trying to man up. Man up. <laughs> so I found out this week, when there's no options left, there's still an option with Jesus. Cook the meal. I need y'all's help in the church. So I found out there's this little girl teacher was asking about Christmas. This one little girl in the class said, she's such a softy. This one little girl in the class said, it's not about the presence. It's about Jesus. And then the little girl who has nothing and I'm trying to not say a whole lot to protect her situation. You can read into what I mean when I say she has nothing, right? It's not like she just goes home to nothing. She has nothing. Read in between. And this little girl said, you're right. Christmas isn't about presents. It's about Jesus. And all I can think about is about bursting into tears when I was told. And all I could think about was, that's exactly what pleases Jesus Christ. The widow that gave two mites, that had nothing left, she gave everything. And that's what Jesus wants. Here's a girl who has nothing, but has everything because she has Jesus. God is not going to leave those little children without his presence. He is a fatherless, I mean, he is a father to the fatherless. And he is a husband to the widow. Man, that little girl gets it, and my heart was wrecked. And so we need to do something for that little girl. But we can't just do it for her. We're going to have to do it for the class. Whether we give a book or whether we give a teddy bear or we give something, I just want that, I just want that little girl to know that her faith is pleasing God and that God is moving in the hearts of believers to do something about her situation. That's what I want her to know. 
that God hears when there's no options left. That little girl can't raise any money. She can't make any money. She can't do anything with her life. But let me tell you something. There is a king over every king. There's a king that the government is going to be on his shoulders. And he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. I don't care who the president is. I know who my president is. And his name is Jesus. And he's going to show up. Can you imagine how God is pleased with the faith of that little girl? She doesn't have to have anything because she has Jesus. So Jesus is not a good luck charm to not little rub the bottom when all of a sudden everybody in my family is going to be healed and rub this and all of a sudden we're going to have money and it's not a little rabbit's foot that I pull out and I say prayers because my grandmother's about to die. You know, it's not Jesus sitting this, that. He's not a good luck charm. He really is real. And when there's no options, he will be the option. See, with Jesus, we have God's faith, and that's what Mary had. Luke 1, 28-30, she had favor. She had favor. So did Joseph. Two different situations. Last thing is this, and I'm going to leave us with this. The gospel gives us courage to trust and obey, even when there are no options, because Jesus trumps desperation. I want you to know something. When you're ministering, when you're loving people this Christmas, when you're giving, when you're whatever you're doing, I want you to know whatever situation. You got family members in a desperate situation. I told you. Man, I listen. To honor my family, I want to, I want to honor them, but I had a brother look at me after his divorce. He looked at me and said, John, my whole life I've wanted love. Got all this other stuff. And I looked at him, and it was, it, I'm going to tell you, the presence of God is with the broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51. And God, listen, I, what God will be for him, and right now, he is more satisfied, though he is single, he is more satisfied in Christ than I ever saw him in his marriage. Ever. So we sing the song. Robbie, silent night, right, silent night, holy night, all is what? That's a lie. That is a lie. You think Bethlehem was hung? All the people coming and running, you're right, all the people coming and running around? Bethlehem wasn't calm. We sing these Christmas songs and some of them are wonderful and some of them I'm going, that's not biblical. It was not calm. There was no room in the end. It's not, listen, Christmas isn't always calm. Can we get a witness, somebody with family? <laughs> I'm related to them, only by marriage. Are you talking about? <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm just It's not going to be calm. But the truth is, the truth is, I want you to know this. That even when it's not calm, Jesus trumps desperation. All was not calm, John said. After walking a hundred miles, Joseph had arrived to an overcrowded Bethlehem with a wife and advanced labor, only to find there was no place for them in the inn. But the statement was not about Joseph or Mary. It was about the Son of God making himself nothing. Listen, that's what I want you to get. Philippians 2. But why was Jesus born very low? So he could be lifted very high. 
Because to be born low means I can connect with everybody. He can connect with the little girl that has nothing. Listen, in your relationships with one another, Philippians 2 verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So my mindset towards you is the same mindset I'm going to have towards Christ. I am nothing. When I meet you, when I try to love you, it's not about me in the relationship with you. It's about Jesus in the relationship with you. And it's my job, it's my calling, it's my passion to see you explode in your relationship with Christ. So I become nothing, the Bible says. Verse 6, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage? I can't use Christianity to my own advantage. I can't use being a pastor. To, I don't go to people and say, hey, my pastor, give me a deal. Then that's just sin. Pastors pay full price. Don't ever, can't ever misuse the cloth. They ripped me when I graduated from seminary. Don't you ever. I mean, there was hundreds of us in there. And they were just, the president was tearing us up. I walked out of there feeling that big. But you know what? Feeling that big sometimes makes you feel that close to Jesus. The lower I get, the closer I get. Mm, that was good. <laughs> Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Come on, we get ready to land it. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here's why I want you to know Jesus trumps desperation. In the best, the most desperate moment of people's lives, if we ever get to that point, at the very moment, hopefully, if I have any mind as I'm getting ready to breathe my last couple breaths before the Spirit of God leaves me at that very, and takes my soul with it to Christ. If I have my mind, here's what I want to think. Be a servant, John. Be a servant. Be a servant. Because in the very point of my lowest, I can be the closest. And that's why Jesus came in a place of nothing. Because he came to be nothing. Except to die. And that's what he did for us. That's what Christmas is about. So I want to read this to you. It's been on my heart. I want to read this. There are times, and this is how we're going to land it. There are times while seeking to follow God faithfully. We find ourselves in a desperate moment. Get, you don't have to raise your hand. I'll just raise mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, God, I am desperate. I don't know what to do. When there are no options, Jesus still has one. Trust me. There are times while seeking to follow God, we find ourselves in a desperate moment. Forced to a place we would not choose to go. It's then we must remember our lives and circumstances are not ultimately about us, they're about Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought uh, with, uh, at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Father has purposes. Let me just read this. The Father has purposes for us and our hardships that extend far beyond us. What often appears like misfortunes. Joseph, get ready to divorce Mary. Two ends of the spectrum, God still had a plan. Mary at the front end, Joseph at the very back end. What often appear like misfortunes in the moment later prove to be means of great mercies. Joseph, in his very moment, lowest moment, encountered means of God. In your place of desperation, it may be what
most is not less turmoil, but more trust. For God chooses stables of desperation as the birthplaces of overwhelming grace. Even when it seems we are so far away with Jesus, we are almost there. I encourage you today that this Christmas, if our goal can be the presence of God, then whatever happens when there seems to be no options left anybody else. For believers, there's always an option. Because the word of God is true. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And if Jesus is the name above every name, and he's above every circumstance, every relationship, every problem, every turmoil, Jesus is over all. Your life might be like Mary. It might be that easy. Your life might be like Joseph. It might be that tough. But in the end, both of them met God. And found the same name. Father, that is my prayer right now. That we desperately hold on to you in this moment. That you are still Lord when there's no options left. That we don't want to live a safe life. We don't want to live anymore like that, Lord. We want to live, as Piper would say, a flavor of a, a, a life of salt and light, risky radical, so heavily minded that we are free of earthly wisdom and earthly goals. That, Lord, that what happens here on earth will not define who we are. And so, Lord, today, looking at the example of Mary, who you spoke to up front, and then we look to the example of Joseph, who you spoke to at the very end, both ways, you still were fulfilling the plan of God. And so, Lord, whether we're on one end or the other end, we trust you. Because Jesus trumps desperation because we know that God is with us. And so, Lord, as we enter in this time to just sing and to be sung over, Maybe there's someone here that just needs a touch from you. They're in that Joseph moment in a place of desperation and they just need a touch from you. So Lord, as we're seated and we begin to sing, if they feel led, I pray they'll just stand up and, and just say, God, this is my prayer. I'm standing because I want to touch. Oh Lord, maybe there's some people in this room that have been touched like Mary and they're saying, you've called me to this, why this, or whatever else. 
And maybe they just need a touch of encouragement. I pray that you administer to them powerfully. Pray for the believers in this room. Lord, that we would be set free from the love of what the world can give. That's why money has such a stronghold. Because of what it can bring. But Lord, we would be set free from the love of that so we could be set free to love you. And I pray for my sisters and brothers in this room. Pray, Lord, Draw them in tight. Draw them in. Whether they're like Mary or Joseph, they're still going to encounter you. When there's no option left, they're still one with you. And if there's someone in this room, Lord, you know that they know about you, but they don't know you. Because you said those who love God are known by God. It's because, Lord, you're not their champion. Only Jesus can do that and die to satisfy the wrath of God so that we can receive the mercy of God and his righteousness. And then we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Lord, please, I beg you right now in the name of Jesus, move powerfully. Save who you need to save. They would call upon the name of Jesus to save them and to turn to you and say in their heart and their mouth that Jesus died on the cross and God, you rose him from the dead on the third day and he's my Lord and Savior. For the Christians in this room, may you bring them closer. Encourage them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We continually pray this prayer as we receive it. And our response will be as we stand. And whoever stands, Lord, may you touch them powerfully.